Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Great to have you joining me today. It is officially the Anaheim Ducks opening night. The day is here, and I could not be more excited to get the season rolling. Now, it was a bit rainy on my drive-in this morning to Honda Center, but I'm going to take that as a good sign. Usually they say that rain is good luck, so I'm going with it today. The team is welcoming the Seattle Kraken to town tonight for their 7 p.m. puck drop. Now, the Ducks have won six straight home openers dating back to the year 2016, and this is their eighth time in franchise history that they will open up at home. I just think there's some good energy with that, also knowing that the team went 3-0 in the preseason at home. A couple of things to note, if you're heading out tonight for the game, make sure to come early. There are a lot of cool fan experiences that the Ducks have lined up for tonight, including the orange carpet that will take place from 3.30 to 5 at Puck Drop Patio. I will be there live doing interviews with all of the players arriving. Kent French will be there emceeing, and you can get your first look at all of the players as they head into the game. We will also have a duck stream table inside Honda Center tonight, so make sure to stop by and say hello. And also, you can catch the announcement ceremony of the 21st duck tonight prior to the game, where the team will welcome new 21st duck Ethan Baroldi to the team this season. I'm really looking forward to that and having Ethan a part of our team this season. You can check out his story on the Anaheim Ducks Twitter account ahead of time, or you can wait till tonight to see the official ceremony. The Ducks season roster was announced on Monday, and there are certainly some new faces that you will see here tonight. Eight in particular, guys like Ryan Strom, John Klingberg, Frank Vetrano, Dmitry Kulikov, just to name a few that joined the team in the offseason. I'm looking forward to seeing their impact as we move throughout the season. Also, one of the more interesting stories that came out of that roster announcement was the story of Pavel Regenda, who made the team's roster. And tonight, we'll make his NHL debut. How cool is that? His very first NHL game, also being a home opener, opening night for the NHL season. I'm really happy for Regenda and excited to see his debut lap tonight. And to close out the Pacific Division preview that I have been doing over the past week and a half, of course, we're going to look at your Anaheim Ducks today. To do so, I brought on Johnny Allers, who is heading into his 21st season of calling Anaheim Ducks games. If you take a look at the Ducks this year, they're looking to build off of some of the successes from last season, but they are still very young. Five guys at the age of 22 and under. This will also be the first full season for general manager Pat Verbeek and also the first season in a very long time without Ryan Getzlaff. So to dive in more into the team ahead of opening night, listen more in this next segment as Johnny and I break down the team. Now joining me in the Korea studio for the first time is the play-by-play voice of the Ducks on Bally Sports West, Johnny Allers. Johnny, welcome to the Korea studio. Thanks, Alexis. Great to be here. I like what you've done with the place. (laughs) And you got your name signed on the glass behind you. Glad that you were able to do that. 
Yep, where you said everyone can see it. That's all that matters. <laughs> now, you're the first fellow Spartan that I've had in the studio. So I love that. Go green. Go white. <laughs> Honored. Honored to be here. I want to talk a little bit about your off season and what you got to do in the summertime. Did you get to do any travel, enjoy yourself a little bit without the hockey? Well, I've, I've been really fortunate the last couple of years. I've been doing the uh, national radio for Sports USA Radio Network, the coverage of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I've gone all the way through to the Stanley Cup final the last two years, which involved uh, staying in a hotel room and quarantined in Montreal and Tampa two years ago. <clears throat> I beg your pardon, I should say a year and a half ago. And then last year, a little more traditional with Colorado and Tampa. And along the way, went to Edmonton for the Western final. Covered that for the network as well. So uh, it's been it's been a couple of short summers, I guess, with that said. Travel is something I enjoy. My wife uh, and I went to Crater Lake this year in the uh, summer break, which is in Oregon. And I keep finding, I'm surprised by how many people in California, when I tell them I went to Crater Lake, the first thing they say is, where is that? I was going to ask that, but I'm not from here. So. Which, which is fair. You're you're allowed. I, I People who were born and raised and been here for 25 years, whatever, I've been here a little over 20 now, will all, and I, I ran into the same thing years ago when I went to Kings Canyon National Park. And these are, Kings Canyon's in California, to answer your question. Crater Lake is in uh, south central Oregon, about 60 miles across the California border. If you go straight up I-5 to Medford, Oregon, and you go east about an hour, you'll hit it. It's a national park, and it's beautiful. It's an old volcano that is backfilled with natural rainwater and uh, snow runoff, and it's spectacular. It's the bluest water you'll see. Um, uh, little note, it's the deepest lake in the United States. I think it's one of the deepest lakes in the world, too. But it is actually deeper than Tahoe and the bluest water you'll ever see. Uh, spent some time up in uh, Mammoth at Mammoth Lakes. Uh, my wife and I have a, a small condo up there, and uh, we went up there a couple different times as well. I love the mountains in the summertime. And you talked a little bit about working for Sports USA Radio Network. Mm -hmm. You have been covering college football as well this fall. Uh, no, uh, the NFL. The I NFL. started with them eleven years ago, doing uh, strictly a college um, schedule for them. They no longer carry a college game of the week, but they do two NFL games each week. So I've uh, I've done three NFL games already. I'll do the Giants and the Ravens this Sunday from New York because we have that day off when we're back there. We, we play the Islanders on Saturday, the Rangers on Monday, and the Devils on Tuesday. So I will moonlight on Sunday uh, with the Ravens and the Giants. And then when the team comes back on the trip, um, I think the game in Detroit is an ESPN national game, so I will peel off from the team and go to Nashville and do the Titans and the Colts the following Sunday. Now, being back in Michigan, will you get to see your family at all? Hoping to do that. I'm, I will accompany the team from Boston to Detroit on Friday, uh, actually Thursday night after the game, and then I'll have Friday to myself. I don't have to fly to Nashville until Saturday. My parents are on the west side of the state. They're a couple of hours away, but... They still live where I grew up, and we'll try to get together for lunch. Might have to jump in a rental car myself and meet them halfway, but my sister's on the west side of the state as well. and I have a couple of nephews that live in the greater Detroit area, and they, one of them will be out of town. We'll try to make dinner plans with the other because he's got a pesky job on Friday. He'll have to work nine to five. <laughs> So having been in this industry for so long and going on all these road trips, do you have any things that you like to do or any like road traditions that you keep 
when you go to these different places? You know, we've, we're really lucky with our TV crew. We've had a, a fairly static group of guys. Brian Hayward's been my color analyst and, and my friend for the entire 20 plus years I've been here with the Ducks. Uh, we've had similar guys that travel with us in the truck. Um, it's going to be some changes this year, but we've we've made a point to to do certain things. Uh, we've been curling a couple times in Edmonton together, okay. which is which is interesting and a lot of fun. <laughs> we have um, we've gone five pin bowling in Vancouver on an almost uh, annual basis. We do that. That's that's a lot of fun if you've never done it. I have Dif- not. Different than the traditional 10-pin bowling that you and I are accustomed to. I know <laughs> you're an Ohio girl. I know there's a lot of keglin that goes on back there. <laughs> Michigan has its fair share as well. Um, <clears throat> that's a lot of fun. One thing I found in Detroit years ago when I lived there, um, have you ever been feather bowling? No, but I have been foaling, I think it is. Okay, I'm, I'm, un, I'm unfamiliar with, with that. It's with a football. You throw it at the pins. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's it's, new to it's me. kind of difficult, to be honest. Yeah. It's in Hamtramck, right outside of Detroit. They have a foaling warehouse. Yep, yep. Hamtramck is, is, is very well known for its <laughs> Polish background, and, yes. and there's, uh, they got a strong. There's, there's a little place um, on the east side of Detroit, they have what they call feather bowling. Okay. And it's a Belgian sport and it was brought over by, you know, people who moved to the United States from Belgium years ago. And, um, it, and it's, and it's kind of a, it's, it looks like a bowling alley in length and it's, it, it's ramped up on the sides. It goes, probably goes up about eight, 12 inches on the sides. And you have a wooden wheel that looks very similar to a wheel of cheese. And at each end of the lane, there is a feather and you try to roll your wheel up the sides and, and, and it, you know, serpentines Mm -hmm. down and whoever lands closest to the feather. They actually, I know you think I'm making this up. I can tell by the look (laughs) on your face, but they had to picture it. Yeah. They have (laughs) leagues. There's, there's one, it's a restaurant slash bar. It's really a kind of a a divey bar for lack of a better term. And I'm blanking right now on the name of the community it's in, but it's just North. It's up, up by St. Clair shores. It's just North of downtown Detroit. And I took the guys feather bowling one time, you know, little unique things like that. We've over the 20 years, we've had an opportunity to do and, and have a lot of fun doing, um, we went ice skating, uh, in, um, uh, central park in New York together years ago as well. You know, just little different little things that, you know, unique to those communities. And we're fortunate. We, we get to travel. There isn't a lot of downtime, but when there is, you try to make the most of it and, and have experiences that, that you wouldn't normally have. Now, with as we're filming this right now, tomorrow is opening night. Really exciting to have hockey back at Honda Center. What are the feelings like heading into the opening night for you? You know, opening night used to be such a, a necessary evil, I guess, for lack of a better term. For us as broadcasters, you want to you want to get into it. You want to get going. Uh, there's a lot of ceremony, a lot of pomp and circumstance. And the worst thing that can happen to you as a broadcaster is you have your home opener and then you go out on the road and you experience two or three more because it's just, it's a lot of, you know, it's, it's for the home fans. I would say the ducks did, uh, have done a couple things the last couple of years that have made this more of an event and, and made it far more enjoyable for the fans. And even for us, those of us that are quote unquote working, mm-hmm. uh, the orange carpet is a really cool aspect. We cover that on our, on our, our pregame show throughout our broadcast, we intersperse shots of it. It's, it's fun for the players. It's fun for the fans. And it's great for us as broadcasters because it, it brings a little, a little bit of the, the pageantry, if you will, in 
The second thing I would say now, I believe this is the seventh year that they've done the 21st duck, which is always highly emotional and very meaningful. And I've had some fans say some, some really wonderful things to me about, you know, we think that's so cool what the ducks do and how they do it. And it's one of the things one, one friend of mine once told me, he said, it's, it's what's great about sports. And it really puts it in perspective what we're doing. This is, you know, we, we're part of this community. And it's great to be part of the community, and, it, and it's great to include the community in what we do. But that inclusion of one particular member of our community is is recognition that is you know far overdue, and and we don't do enough of it as a community in general. I know we 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 try, but I I I just really admire what the organization has done with the twenty first duck. It's you know I have a hard time not crying in the booth. You know, between the introduction of the 21st duck and, oh, by the way, now I got to call a hockey game. Mm -hmm. and it, but because it, it is an emotional moment, it's a very deserving person who's been through a great deal of adversity at some point, if not throughout their lives, and they've overcome it and they've risen above it. And, and they, feel, they feel a connection to the ducks, and mm -hmm. then we get to connect with them throughout the entire course of the season. Because I don't know if a lot of fans know, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful ceremony on opening night. But that 21st duck continues throughout the season. They participate right. in all the team events. They come on the road with us occasionally. There will be one, maybe two times a season where that, you know, we'll come out, you know, at a morning skate and there's the 21st duck. And it's great to see them. And they're always welcome in the locker room and they're down around the team, both at the morning skate and then after that game on that particular night before we're going to the next city or whatever it may be. And just that inclusion for all of us and not just for the 21st duck. Is, is awesome. And it begins tomorrow night. So that's that's what comes to mind for me when I think of opening night. I'm really excited to see the ceremony. And I know it's it's going to be a, a great year. My first year with the team, too. So I'm looking forward to feeling those same emotions that you, you speak about right now. Yeah, and experiencing it for the first time. Because <laughs> I remember the first year we did it. And it didn't have nearly the impact or I think the notoriety that now it gets within the community. And I see that our local television stations cover it and, and rightfully so. And the writers write about it. And it's not just a footnote at the end of a, of a game article. Um, and it's, as I said, it's, it's very richly deserving and the organization gets a, a good deal of notoriety out of it and they deserve it because it was their idea. They came up with it and, and it's, it's a great tradition. Now, looking at this season, your 21st season with the team, can you believe that? <laughs> yeah, a, little, yeah, well, a little synchronicity there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This will be the first season without Ryan Getzloff as the leader of the team. What is that going to be like for this group? You know, there's so many new faces in the room. I think we've got eight new players or maybe six or eight new players this year uh, for opening night that... I think for the group, it's not as big a deal. It's a big deal for about two-thirds of the guys in there. And and when you think about the guys who played with Ryan, how many of them <clears throat> how many of them played a long time with Ryan? If Corey Perry was still in there, mm -hmm. uh, the impact would be, you know, would be huge. Um over the years, Getze kind of he aged out over everybody he played with to the point where now you got an Adam Henrique who played four or five years with him. Cam Fowler is probably the most affected. He played 11 or 12 years with him, so he's going to miss him the most. So some of the guys that played with him may have only played with him two or three years. So for them, it's another player. There's a presence missing for sure, but there's another player that's just not back from last year's team. For the fans and for those of us that have been around for the 18 years, it's a it's a pretty large impact as well. 
coaching staff feels it. Dallas has been here for four years now. But I think organizationally, Ryan meant a lot off the ice as well. Right. And 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 he was he was a constant. Uh, regardless of what was happening on the ice with the team, wins, losses, Ryan was always there at the events. Ryan was, you know, he was the guy that represented the players and would speak in front of the fans and be at the, you know, meet the team at the beginning of the season, ducks and tucks later on. And I think that's where we're going to see who steps forward, who who becomes mm -hmm. not a leader, but those leaders, because it's going to be by design and by group. And it's interesting how how it changes over time. The media continues to ask Dallas Akins and Pat Verbeek, <laughs> what are you going to do about a captain? Yep. Um, is it going to be more than three guys that wear the A's? How long is it going to be before you name one? And I don't think internally it's as big a deal within the room, within the coaching staff, within the management side, as it is in the community. And I think that that speaks to what Ryan meant to the community, not only to the hockey team. There will be times when we miss that leadership, that one guy who could mm -hmm. say something on the bench or in the room or go over and speak to the official after something happened on the ice. And and we're going to feel it, but we haven't yet. And I, I remember getting asked that after the first day of training camp. And in the moment, it was kind of a, oh, yeah, he's not here. I think over time, we're going to realize it. I really like that they're going to take their time also to, to feel out the year and see who really does step up to be a leader on the group in terms of the organization kind of making that decision in the future. Yeah, at the time, I remember when Ryan was given the captaincy, there were some questions whether is it is this the right time? Is it mm -hmm. too soon? I mean, Scott Niedermeyer had been in the room. Chris Pronger had been in the room. Uh, Scotty had come back, but they had, you know, they had moved the C around for that year where he was gone. Tamu Salani had been in the room and management recognizes when the time is right. And while there are, there is a young core again, that I think fans and management hopes to move forward with hopefully the way they did with Getzloff and Perry and Fowler and those guys moving forward. They haven't yet identified, um, you know, who's going to be that guy that that definitely will be here, and and we can we can put the C on and expect that same thing. And times change. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of teams do this now over the last decade plus, yep. where they'll go by committee, no C, four guys that wear an A over the course of the year, or maybe even six guys. And um, back in the day when you know when the C was given to Ryan, it was you know it was time. Paul Correa, we're in his studio. You know he wore the C for. Eight, eight of his nine years, I think it was. And, and he got it at a pretty young age as well. And, uh, you know, my first year here was Paul's last. And there was never any question about who wore a C. And then, then there was a little bit of a, a lag period before, you know, they identified, okay, Ryan's going to be the guy moving forward. We might be in another lag period. There could mm -hmm. be a two or three year window here where maybe one or two different guys wear it. Maybe nobody wears it until they identify that, that player. Johnny, you mentioned it, the team opening up with Seattle and then going on the road to the East Coast. What in terms of the scheduling is that kind of like? I mean, you said it can be a little bit difficult because you have those home and op home openers for other teams, too. But like for the guys, especially all these younger ones coming in this season, do you see this being a little taxing in the beginning or will they be able to find a rhythm? You know, the the. I guess the common uh, response to that is it's good to get a team on the road early in the season. Coaches and managers say it all the time. I don't know that it's been backed up 
analytically or statistically because, you know, the guys do get a couple of days off. They get some time to go out to dinners together, get to know one another. I think that goes for any team. But when you're a young team, um, a lot of people are experiencing things for the first time. You're experiencing your first season, so you're going to experience a lot of things for the first time. Mm -hmm. These players are experiencing things together for the first time on the road. Some of them may not have been to some of these cities ever in their lives, so they're going to they're going to hang out together. That's what that's what players do. When you know when you go on the road, all it is is the team. All it is is hockey. You know what times practice today, the morning skate, whatever it might be. And then if you do have free time, the only place you can turn is to your teammates. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. You want to go feather bowling? <laughs> you know, you want to go to dinner? What's it going to be? So um, it's a good thing from a, a bonding and team building standpoint, whether it shows that, you know, on the on the the record in the standings, time will tell. But, you know, it's a it's common that the teams want to go on the road early in the season and the NHL has obliged. Well, now let's look at the final roster that was released. We've had a lot of acquisitions in the offseason. Some of the big ones on the offensive end, Frank Vetrano, Ryan Strom. What have you thought about their play so far through the preseason and now heading into this season where they can make an impact? I love what both of those two players have done in that they've just played their game. Uh, talk, I had a little chat with Ryan Strom today after practice, and and he is a veteran, I can tell, just mm -hmm. talking to him and watching how he holds himself and, and, and how he is around the room, and he's a pro, and he's got his routines, and this is what he does. Uh, some people have suggested in talking to Dallas Akins, you know, does he re does he replace? Can he replace Ryan Getzloff? You and I have already touched on it. I don't think anyone anyone mm -hmm. is going to replace Ryan Getzloff right now because of so many things that he did. But Ryan Strom is convinced that he's going to go in and be Ryan Strom, mm -hmm. and that is a, a reliable centerman who can win faceoffs, a good offensive player who's going to be part of the power play, who's going to distribute the puck and try to find Troy Terry, who's going to be on his line to start the season, and uh, try to set those players up. Frank Vetrano is a shooter. There's a, there's a no-nonsense about his game. He mm -hmm. gets the puck, and if he sees a shot, he's going to take it. And he reminds me a little bit of Jonathan Marcheseau in Vegas, who's never seen a shot he doesn't like. And that's a good thing. I know Pat Verbeek likes that about him. And he and I know Dallas Aikens says, has said to me, I hope it's contagious. I hope it rubs off on his teammates. We need mm -hmm. players to be more shoot-first mentality and maybe even a little more selfish in that regard. I haven't had a chance to talk to Frank more than one time. Um you know, these, these, he told me this was one of the teams he had earmarked and he was looking at, he wanted to come to, you want players who want to come to you. Obviously right. opportunities are opportunities. And sometimes they present themselves in places that, that you're not expecting, but these are players that are happy to be here. They wanted to be here. And, you know, obviously based on the fact that they signed here, they, mm -hmm. they've shown us that much, but I, I just like that they're, they're not trying to be anything that they're not so far from what I've seen. They're just trying to play their game. And, and the more players that do that, I think the better off the team will be. And you look at that power play this season, mentioning Strom being a part of it. John Klingberg also going to be a part of it. We know how well he did with that in Dallas and what a leader he has been on the power play. How improved do you think this team can be this season on that end? Well, the power play was greatly improved last season from the year before, unfortunately, historically bad. Um, so there's nowhere to go but up, but they did make great strides last season. 
how much better can they be? Uh, you know, you want to be, you want to shoot for above 20% at this level on your power play. And then the good teams have shown they can be 25%. I don't know how much better they can be. I think what's going to be interesting to watch on the power play is to see how the personnel works its way, um, you know, settles itself out. And when John Klingberg's a power play guy, mm-hmm. it's going to cost Jamie Drysdale, at least at the outset, some power play time. And as a result, Jamie may suffer offensively when, you know, the layman looks at his numbers. Well, what's wrong with the 20-year-old defenseman? Um, It's fairly natural when you get a guy of the ability of John Klingberg that somebody's going to lose some ice time. Cam Fowler was one of the top goal-scoring defensemen in the league on the power play last year. He's obviously still going to garner his fair share of time. And then there's Kevin Shattenkirk, who's played quite a bit of power play time as well. So... Klingberg is obviously on that number one power play unit. Um, The thing that I see his addition does for this team on the power play is I think they can put together two pretty lethal power play units. You know, most teams, and it's fairly common, have one power play unit that'll go out there and play a minute 20. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the one that does the majority of the scoring. Well, figured out when they do the majority of the playing, they're going to do the majority of the scoring. And sometimes the second unit gets on to play 25 seconds and then the penalty's over. The Ducks should have two pretty good power play units. And, uh, you know, Cam Fowler might play on the first one. He might play on both of them. Uh, John Klingberg's probably going to be on the first one. But they've got enough depth on the blue line to run two very solid power plays. And and I think that's where they may see the most improvement. And one of the people that stood out during the preseason, Pavel Regenda, making the roster now too. How impressed were you through camp with him? Very. It was a great, it's a great story. I, I know when uh, Pat Verbeek signed him last June, I, you know, I, I couldn't help but in the back of my mind think, okay, Slovak player, um, could he be the Ducks' Andre Palat? <laughs> now that's putting way too much on anyone's plate there. But, you know, Pat Verbeek and his background and finding a free agent out of Slovakia that, you know, becomes a huge contributor. Pavel's had a great camp. He had a good rookie camp or prospects camp and then rookie games and you know to consider what he's been through he's come all the way through all those camps so he's been he's been on display or making his case for lack of a better term since early September so Mm -hmm. if anybody's ready to play a regular season (laughs) game I'm sure it's him but he seems to be uh, you know a fairly bubbly guy and and he's liked by his teammates he's he's got a good deal of personality you guys Mm -hmm. should get him in here I'm sure he'll be a lot of fun but an easy guy to cheer for too, and he and he gives that that line that he's been playing on with Grant and Jones just more size. He's a big body. He moves well. He's got great hands. He's shown us, you know, in the preseason on some of his goals. That goal he scored against the Kings um, when he was on the rush, the puck's kind of in his feet. He gets it off quickly and he makes a great shot and scores a goal that's not really in his wheelhouse. So he's going to be fun to watch, I think, and one to keep an eye on. The you know the the pace of play will pick up. Be interesting to see how he handles that. It's a smaller ice surface than what he's accustomed to playing on. He seems to think that suits his game a little bit better. Um, time will tell. Obviously, always with young players who don't have the experience at this level, you you watch them in the defensive zone because if there are deficiencies there, that's the sort of thing that will either affect their ice time or their ability to be in the lineup. Mm-hmm. So um, looking forward to seeing him play, though. He's, he's, a, he's a nice young man and an easy guy, like I said, to cheer for. Have you had a chance to talk with Max Jones about his return to play now this season? Yeah, Jonesy and I have talked a couple times, and he said it early in camp to me, and he's he's echoed it with everyone he's talked about. He just has a newfound 
I think appreciation for, mm-hmm. you know, having missed a season, you know, it's the old, the old adage, you never know what you got till it's gone. So he, he lost a season and he lost that camaraderie with his teammates. He lost the being on the bus, being in the locker room, you know, being with the guys at those dinners on the road, because right. it's a lonely place in the national hockey league when you're an injured player. I don't know that a lot of people know this, but even the home games, you're not in the room with your teammates. It's, you know, you're, you're in street clothes and you're either in the press box when the game's going on, or you're sitting in the training room with the trainers. Um, and actually leading up to the game, you are, they don't want you in the room. They don't want you around the players that are playing in the game. It's, it's not, it's not meant to sound as bad as it is, but no distractions. So you're not playing tonight. You go over there and guys, a lot of guys will watch in the locker room during the game. But when the guys come in between periods, They'll go back in the weight room in the corner or whatever. It's you're you're just not around your teammates, right? And it's hard. And uh, and Max Max has experienced it, and he doesn't want to experience it again. Mm-hmm. And he just he just has a newfound appreciation, I think, for for what he has. And it's he's had a great camp. I mean, his enthusiasm has come through in his play. And now let's look at the goaltenders and John Gibson, Anthony Stolarz behind him. How do you think the tandem? between the two of them will play out this season? Well, Gibby has come out of camp and come to camp in each of the last three years in great shape and has come out of the gate just playing outstanding. A couple of years ago, there was talk of him for the not just the Vesna but the MVP when we got to Christmas because no one expected the Ducks to be in the playoff picture. And they got all the way last season into early February at, atop the division. And, uh, and unfortunately, depth issues, injuries came into play. And and it didn't play out well the last third of the season. But, you know, I expect Gibby to be ready to go. He mm-hmm. looked at – he, you know, despite the first period he had in L.A. on Saturday, he made two or three spectacular saves, or it could have been way worse than it was. Um, if he's healthy and ready to go, I expect him to be John Gibson, good John Gibson. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's very few peers that he has in the league when he's on top of his game. That's going to help this team and give them a chance. Anthony Stolarz established himself last season. I think he can push John Gibson if given the opportunity. And he's going to see the this, the back end of back-to-back games early on. And then the schedule will will play out as to what availability there is for him to play. And Anthony has shown that over the course of not just last season, but the tail end of the previous year, when given the opportunity, he makes the most of the opportunity. And the thing that sometimes gets lost in the mix is people have to understand that those games he plays, they aren't easy games to play. The back end of back-to-backs, the entire mm-hmm. team in front of you played the night before. Right. They're tired. A lot of times playing a team that didn't play the night before on the road. That's somewhat the the, lie, the lay of the land when you're on the road. And, and it's not uncommon for backup goalies to be good and still have sub-500 records. Well, that hasn't been the case with Anthony. And as long as he's stayed healthy, and this is the longest stretch in his career that he's stayed healthy these last couple of seasons, he's shown that he deserves to be in the National Hockey League. Now it's a question of, if given the opportunity, will he show that he deserves an opportunity to be a number one in the National Hockey League? Johnny Allers, great to have you here in the Korea studio for the first time on DuckStream. Excited to have you back along this season and really excited to get the season going. Thanks, Alexis. We're excited to have you. Welcome aboard. Go green. (laughs) Go white. Thank you. And now it's time for my final quack, and I'm going to keep it short today. 
Make sure to listen to DuckStream right here tonight, whether it's on the TuneIn app or at the AnaheimDucks.com slash DuckStream for the pre and post game, as well as the live game broadcast with Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. Let's have a great season, Ducks fans. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. Come back next time for more hockey talk as the Ducks will be on the road after tonight right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.